So over the last few weeks, we've been considering the beauty of God's household, and we've been doing so to remind ourselves of the joy that is ours as we belong to God's family, Uh, that this collection of people is special to God and should be special to us. There is no other group that exists quite like the church because we are eternal We are an eternal people. We are forever together belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ is our cornerstone and we are fit into his household as living stones. Each one in its perfect place. Each one right where the Savior wants us to be. And we've been given unique spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ is strong and that we are able to serve one another. Now, this morning, as we continue our look into the beauty of the church, I want us to consider how God protects his household. Because in the way that we are gathered, God has providentially provided for the care and safety of his people. He has done so with a group of men that are called elders. For some of you, you're aware of the concept of elders. Uh, And if you've been a part of our ministry for any significant amount of time, you understand a little bit or maybe even uh, more than a little bit of what elders do in the local church. But as we began the study a few weeks ago, I made the comment that the reason why we wanted to take this time and walk through the New Testament and the picture that God paints of what his household looks like is because there's some of you this morning that are fairly new to North Anvil Bible Church and, and maybe your church background or, or maybe past experience or maybe this is a brand new experience for you. Uh, this idea of what God's church is all about is fairly new. And especially now that I'm talking about this term elder, you're thinking, what does that mean? And so depending on your background and understanding, you might have heard the words used. You might have read in your bulletin, there's an elder meeting this week. And you might be thinking, well, what do they do? What are they responsible for? You might be fairly new and you've received the letter that we sent out and said that you're in an elder care group. And you might think, well, that's great. But what's that about? What do they do? And so what I would like to do today with all of you is walk through the New Testament and consider the priority that the New Testament gives to the establishing of effective leadership in the local church and the priority that the New Testament gives to the establishing of the office of elder in that local church. Now, in no way is this leadership in contradiction with what Pastor Dustin shared a few weeks ago from Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, it's the Apostle Paul that writes that Christ is established as head of his church. And when we talk about effective leadership and we talk about the office of elder in the local church, I'm not saying that what Paul said was wrong there or that what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 and where we'll spend time this morning is in contradiction. But what I'm saying is that under the headship and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is head of the body, we see that he has placed men in a specific place to be under shepherds of him. 
We're joined to Christ as our head. And as a group of people who have trusted in him and what he has accomplished through the cross, we're a people who are not just forgiven for a future in heaven, but we are a people that are changed, who have been brought from death to life. And we are on mission with Jesus, and we are called to mature and be just like him. The New Testament calls that to be a disciple, to be a follower. Those who seek to live now just like him. And in his wisdom and under his leadership, Jesus has appointed men who are called elders, men who carry the burden and responsibility of protecting the local church. Now, you might say, but I, I'm aware of other churches, pastor, and not all of them have elders. Or a church that I formerly attended, we didn't have elders. Why don't all churches agree on this? And I would say to you, that's a good question, but, I, but one that I think is easily solvable. And for us... It's not even just a preference thing. For us as people who are following Jesus, who listen to his word, uh, very easily we see that in the scriptures, we see an ongoing supported pattern where God has placed a priority on having spiritual leadership in the local church that God calls elders. We begin this journey in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is uh, a history book. It's not just a history book, right? Like, I don't want us to look at it as something that you study in school. Uh, But it's there for us, written by Luke, who writes to us about the birth of the church from its very beginning in Jerusalem, all the way to how this local group of believers became followers who set the world on fire. And by the the time the book of Acts ends, the gospel has made its way to the city of Rome, which was the center of the world at that time. Now, all along this way, you have these journeys that these followers of Jesus make. And one particular man, the Apostle Paul, was on three different journeys. We call them his missionary journeys. And he was going out with the message of Jesus. And as he was going out with the message of Jesus, he would often return to those places that he visited with the gospel. Because as people became followers of God, God was not concerned that they just believe in Jesus. But as they believe in Jesus, God's greatest concern is that they would be a part of his family. And we're not just isolated, siloed people that believe in Jesus on our own. He calls us to community. And so Paul would revisit these places and he would establish churches. He would establish communities of faith. He would visit these people again after preaching the gospel and check in on them and see how they're doing. And one of the things that we read in the book of Acts very early in Paul's missionary journeys in chapter 14 is that as Paul was on his initial evangelistic efforts, he returned to the areas that he visited. He established in those churches elders. In Acts 14, verse 23, we read, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord 
in whom they had believed. It was on this visit. It was Paul's desire that these communities have spiritual leadership for the purpose of protection, for the purpose of feeding the flock, for the purpose of making sure that these people were united in their commitment to the gospel. Later on in Acts chapter 20, we have one of the sweetest farewells that is recorded in Scripture. In Acts chapter 20, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. And he's spending time with this church in Ephesus. And we have a a whole letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. And in Acts chapter 20, as he is visiting with the leaders of Ephesus, he has some farewell words. And we read in verse 28 and following, he, he says to the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, To shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so Paul's concern was that these spiritual leaders would be aware of the dangers that existed around them. And if you notice what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, there's danger from outside and within. Right? Because in verse 29, he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Basically, they're going to come in and eat the flock. So they're from the outside. They're wanting to come in and disrupt and and devour and destroy the community of God's people. And how does that happen today, right? Like, it's not like a literal wolf is like going around. You know, Brian, I apologize for the the word usage, but that's what scripture uses. But, um, you know. It's not that kind of thing. The savage wolves that are around us are the people that are peddling a false doctrine. If you were with us last fall, we went through the book of Jude. And Jude warned the believers of of all of the false teachings that were going to arise. That there is a false counterfeit gospel. That our enemy, Satan, is seeking to destroy the credibility and integrity of the ministry of the gospel. He is seeking to put doubt in the minds of those who are of faith in Jesus Christ. Because if the church is weak, the mission of the church is weak. And if the mission of the church is weak, the world is still lost. And so we need to be aware that there's a problem existing outside. But then he says in verse 30, and from among your own selves. And so it's not just an outside problem. Sometimes it's an inside problem. That from among us, there are people that will seek discussions and theologies and all those things that divide men and do not unite us in the gospel. And so Paul is very careful to encourage these elders to the task of protecting, providing, shepherding God's people. So how is this handled? Well, it's to be handled as a result of leadership that submits to the leadership of Jesus Christ, submits to the leadership of the scriptures. 
Listen, if you're an elder, and we have some of our elders here today, uh, if you're an elder in the church, your number one primary ministry is to know the Word of God so that you can teach and impart the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the only Word that leads to life. We need to be prepared to bring the Bible to the flock that God has entrusted to our care. It's for that reason that he urges Titus. God urges Titus and Titus 1 through the Apostle Paul and Timothy and 1 Timothy and 1 Timothy 3 especially that they were to appoint elders for the churches that were under their care. And these elders were to be men of spiritual character. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 talk about the office of elder, but in the reference or the framework of what their inner character qualities should be. And there's some 20 character qualities that are listed in those passages that should be existent in every man that it aspires to the office of elder. Now, that doesn't mean perfection, but it means that in their present tense, working, living for Jesus, these things are being tr- known to be true in them. And when you read all of these scriptures, as I hope you will on your own, Acts, the book of Acts in chapter 14 and chapter 20, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. When you begin to put it all together, what you begin to understand for yourself is that the task of leadership is a shared task, that the burden does not fall upon any one individual, but rather is granted to a group of individuals. So it's not just, quote unquote, the senior pastor's job to be the only spiritual care leader of the local church. Every person that is involved in the unique ministry of shepherding in the local church of the office of elder is called to that task. It's a shared responsibility. Now we see this in our text this morning in first Peter chapter five, and you can turn there on your own. Uh, We're going to be there in just a minute. Um, But in first Peter five, it's very clear that Peter is writing about these men that are called to this task. And he writes to them in the plural He doesn't write to the elder of the church. He says to the elders of the church. Now, I'm going to use some Greek words here. And you're going to be like, hey, that sounds great and wonderful. What does that mean? And we're going to kind of walk through it because there's some words that are used in the New Testament interchangeably to talk about this office of elder or the people that God has called the shepherd under the great shepherd Jesus. Now, the first word that we see is the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get the English word presbytery. Now, this word presbyteros is used in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, when Peter says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now, that gives us, incidentally, as you would imagine, our our word presbyter or presbyterian, a number of words that are used interchangeably for these individuals. And back in Acts chapter 20, in the verses that I read, in verse 17 of that passage, the word again is used, presbyteros, talking about the elders that Paul was meeting with. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he mentions the elders again, but this time Paul uses the word episcopoi which is where we get the English word Episcopalian. 
Now, this word episkopoi um, is often translated overseer, as is in the New American Standard. So when you have these individuals who are both episcopoi, which addresses the, their authority as overseers, and they are presbyteroi, which speaks to the issue of their maturity as elders, they are those who are to be exercising the responsibility of being a shepherd as found in 1 Peter 5. And you're thinking, great, right? Just say you're thinking, great, just say great. Okay, now we're going to build on it because there's a third word that is used in 1 Peter 5 that is used interchangeably in the New Testament to talk about this office of these men that are set aside for specific purpose to shepherd God's people. In 1 Peter 5, it's the Greek word poimeion. So we have presbyteros, episkopoi, poimeion. And this word is used in 1 Peter 5, in verse 2. And it's the word used for shepherd. And this word, poimain, describes the task of the overseer. This is what they do. So we have elders in our church. There's a picture of them on the back wall. You can check out that picture before you leave. Don't throw darts at it. Just check it out. Their task isn't to meet tomorrow night for a business meeting. And we're going to meet tomorrow night. You saw it on the slides. It's in your bulletin. There's an elder meeting. Their task is to be shepherds. That's their task. That's what God is calling them to do. So what we see when you put these three words together, they are men of authority men of maturity, men of responsibility. And it comes from these three words. So you can jot them down. And next time you're, you know, at dinner with someone that you don't know, and you really want to wow them with your knowledge of the New Testament, just start throwing these words around. Um, But no, it's really important. Because God has uh, this structure in place for a special reason. And you might say, well, pastor, where do you fit into this? Well, I'm an elder. Pastor Dustin is an elder. And we serve amongst uh, lay elders that don't specifically have the professional uh, calling or titles that go with that. But we serve with these men in the office of overseer, shepherding the flock together. And so when you read through the New Testament, you easily see that God has ordained that the church is not an autocracy. The power doesn't reside just with one person. I've heard of churches that, you know, the pastor is the one that's in charge of everything. And I've heard of churches where it's not the pastor, but it might be a person in the church community that is in charge of everything. But the church is never meant to be ruled by an individual. And one of the reasons for plurality amongst the eldership is to prevent the inclination towards this autocracy, that one person would have all of the the power. The church is not an autocracy, and so from that extreme, and it's also not a democracy. The church is not a democracy. There's no democratic principles in the New Testament about how the church should function, that we should elect people and vote people and put them into place, and, and everyone has equal say. 
It's not in the New Testament. Now, I know there are some churches that function that way, that they um, they elect and appoint certain people for certain periods of time and they serve a couple years and maybe someone else is reappointed above them. And basically what that turns into is who's available to serve. But that is not the pattern and principle of the New Testament. And some of you might come from a church experience where you thought, I thought everyone had a vote and say in everything that happens here. Well, some churches run their churches that way, but it is the conviction of our church that God has set aside specific people for leadership. And it's not on a term base, right? We call these men for life. Like, unless they disqualify themselves from their calling, they're called for life. And the responsibility of the overseer is to keep watch over the local church. Sometimes we have votes and we have membership. And we do that because there is that greater accountability. But if you've been with us long enough, you know that You know, we're having a meeting tomorrow night and the elders don't ask you to vote on every decision that we're making here at the church, that there's a trust that the elders are tasked with that responsibility. You know, it's the adage, right? When something is everybody's responsibility, then it's really nobody's responsibility. And so God has set aside people, men, into this unique office. And that's why what you have in the local church is not an autocracy on one end or not a democracy on the other end, but in reality, it's what is called a theocracy. Coming from the Greek word again, throwing around those words, theos is the Greek word for God. Uh, A theocracy is managed under the stewardship and leadership of God. He is the one who is in charge. And we talked about that a few weeks ago from Colossians chapter 1. But in reality, God carries out his role through godly leadership. That's how God carries out his role in the local church, through godly leadership. The godly leadership discovers how they are to lead by studying the Bible. The Bible then is brought upon the hearts and minds of the congregation. And that's why the Bible and the knowledge of the scriptures is a great safeguard against tyranny and heresy. That's why we we make much of God's word. Because it's all we got. And if there are fierce wolves coming in from the outside, and there are people from within that are going to arise to disrupt and devour. And we know that we have a great enemy that wants to tear down what God is building in his household. Where is that enemy going to attack? Truth. And what the scriptures say. And I've said this many times, and I'm going to keep saying it. I don't think it's me being naive. I think it's me just understanding that this word is really all we need for life and godliness. And so let's just stay close to the word. And that's our commitment. That's our commitment to you at this church. Because the easiest people to lead astray are those who don't know their Bible. 
And so we keep going back to the text. What does the scripture say? That's why you should always be careful of the places where you go where they don't teach you the Bible. Because the Bible is our sole authority. The Bible is our safeguard. You should always feel safe in a place where people are saying, now look at the Bible and see what it says. So in this task of leadership, I want us to spend the rest of our time together for the next few moments uh, looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 specifically. And I want us to walk through the responsibility of the elders' ministry, which Peter calls us to in 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 4. Let me read the text for you. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so as we look at this task that elders have, what we need to understand first as Peter exhorts them, and this word exhorts means to implore or urge, Peter doesn't write from a position as being an apostle. He doesn't just say, I'm the apostle Peter, you need to listen to me. What does he say? He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. So he puts himself on the same plane as those who are serving in this important ministry of leadership in the local church. Now, he does this built on that word, therefore. And that word, therefore, in chapter 5, verse 1, connects us with his thoughts in chapter 4. And what he said at the end of chapter 4 is, as a follower of Jesus, there are going to be trials and suffering. Some of you know that in great reality. The following Jesus in a fallen world, there are trials and suffering. And so, as a kindness from God, as a gift from God, as we go through suffering in this world, God says, I want you to remember that you're not alone in your suffering, that I have provided care for your souls. Trust yourselves to them. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and also as one who has witnessed the sufferings of Christ that connect us to what he said in chapter four. And, and we know, even though Peter wasn't right there at the foot of the cross like John was, Peter was there when Jesus died on the cross, when he went through his suffering. He was a little far off, right? In that moment, he was a little sheepish about identifying with Jesus. And then the rooster crowed and he's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? But he was there as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he was also there as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. In Matthew 17, Jesus took the, the three inner close disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mountain where they saw Jesus 
gloriously transfigured. They saw him in his glorified state. Peter writes and he says, listen, I've seen his sufferings. I've partook in the glory that is to come. And when Jesus returns in the future, oh my, it's going to knock your socks off. Okay, they didn't wear socks. Knock your sandals off. And so what does he do? He exhorts them who is one among them to what? To the task. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God among you. And so for the elders that are here this morning, I hope you clearly see the exhortation. Your task is not to show up for a meeting. Your task is to shepherd the flock of God. Flock, shepherd the flock of God among you. Notice he doesn't say, as your fellow elder, I urge you elders to make sure you, you make your meetings once a month. Make sure you focus on administration only. Make sure the people in the church know that you are leaders. Peter doesn't say that. No, Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd. Now, from a quick glance of using that job title that was prevalent in the New Testament era, uh, it's interesting the vocation that Peter calls these men to have, right? Because in society in the first century world, the shepherds were not in the high class. In fact, they were in the very low class. From a Jewish perspective, shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean and couldn't even go to the temple. Shepherds kept long hours. They were... They were a tough scrabble of men. They, they were hardened by the task that they had to take care of sheep. Being a shepherd was a difficult job. I remember, oh, this was almost 15 years ago, and I was only in the ministry seven years or so. I was invited back to visit a pastoral ministries class at our college that we attended, Philadelphia College of the Bible, now Karen University, uh, by uh, a professor and to, to talk to the, the students that were there to train for pastoral ministry. And it was to share from the perspective of someone that's been on this side of pastoral ministry, um, you know, just some lessons learned and, you know, because you can only learn a certain amount of things in a classroom. And um, I was talking to the students and I made the comment. I said, if you can do anything else right now with your life, do it. If there's anything else that you feel like you can do, do it. But if you can't and it's in you, God has put in you to shepherd his people. It's going to be one of the most difficult tasks that you will face in life, but it is the most rewarding. It's going to, it's going to take everything you got. And then when you run out, it's going to take everything in Jesus in you to do that task. Being a shepherd is not easy. And it's not just because the sheep stink. It's primarily because there is an enemy and it's a hard task to keep the flock together. Our task is to exercise oversight. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion. Not under compulsion. Now, this word oversight literally means to take care. It means to not just keep an eye on, but you know the sheep are going to aimlessly wander. You know you need to lead them to food. You know they need protected. You know that there are going to be times that they get banged up and you're going to have to carry them and attend to their wounds. But you know that if you're faithful to that task, the sheep know their shepherd's voice and will listen to their shepherds. And so what Peter is saying is that elders are called to provide for the spiritual care of the flock they minister to. And we do this not under compulsion. Listen, if you have to twist a shepherd's arm to do their job, they're not a shepherd. They're not. An elder is an elder not by title, but by responsibility. And when that responsibility is called for, they don't shrink away from it. Our ministry, then, is according to the will of God. We serve this way because that is God's desire for his household. This is God's plan for the protection and care of his people. We serve this way because there is no other protective layer that the sovereign Lord of the universe provided for his local church than that of elder. And we do it not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for praise, not for preeminence, not for position, not for title, not as professionals. Listen, it's not an issue issue here, I believe, but I've been around. I've rubbed shoulders with people that are in the office of elder that treat it more as a profession than a calling. They punch a clock. They do their job. But they're not eager when the bell rings. And the bell is going to ring in the middle of the night. And the bell is going to ring when you have plans. And the bell is going to ring in those moments and times when you think, oh, well, that was really inconvenient. But it's worth it because God's people are precious. Church, be thankful for the men who are elders here who care for your spiritual growth and seek to honor Jesus with how they conduct themselves. We have a great gift here of men who love Jesus and care for your souls. We shepherd not from ivory towers, but as examples to the flock. If you want to see the DNA of any church, if you want to know what makes a church community tick, what it's, what's important to it, what they're committed to, all you need to do is look at their leadership. Look at the leadership of a local church and you'll see how the church is doing. Whether they call themselves elders or not, whether they understand the task of their ministry or not, look at how the leadership conducts themselves. And I say that in light of every church. Because not every church has elders. And you can look at the the set-aside leadership of any church and you can see where they're at in their struggles and where they're at in what they're excelling in. And I would say to you, as a person that has been involved in church leadership now for more than half of my life, the reason why many churches 
are faltering, shuttering their doors, and really off of mission is because there is a lack of true leadership in those churches. I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor where I'm just shocked that XYZ Church would make such decision about something as it concerns disregarding the clear teaching of the Word of God and think, how do you get there? How do you believe that that is true in light of what God has clearly said? And it's because the leadership of the church maybe isn't set up in the way that God has designed or that the leaders of the church have forgotten just how precious and true this word is and how it is the only source of life and godliness. And they're beginning to listen to the messages of the wolves that are circling around the household of God. They're not feeding the flock. They're not caring for the flock. They're not protecting the flock from danger. Listen, we know that shepherds carry crooks. And as we learn from David, they knew how to sling stones and fight off bears and lions. And as we know from 1 Peter 5, 8, there is a lion prowling around seeking to devour and destroy. But we also need to remember, as verse 4 indicates, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so what I want you to understand, if you're an elder here, is not the reward. That's good, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But the first part of verse 4. That elders always remember that there is one who is greater than you. When the chief shepherd appears. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. We are under shepherds of him. We tend his flock. We are accountable to him for how we have cared for his children. The flock, not just North Anvil Bible Church, but his house as a whole is his, bought with a precious price. His blood shed on the cross. And Jesus is only the good shepherd. He's the leader of leaders. And it is the task of the administration of his house that he has appointed spiritual men to follow him in the care of his church. And there is a reward. Peter says in verse 4, you will receive, when he appears, the unfading crown of glory. Elders who shepherd well will receive a crown that doesn't fade. Now this word unfading is a Greek word that we use in the English to describe this. The aramanth. Now it's, it's kind of like a weed uh, did you guys see any of this yesterday? Some of the ladies went flower picking. Um, what's interesting about this plant, flower, weed, however you want to classify it, is if you cut it and dry it, it keeps its color. 
It doesn't fade. And that's where this word unfading comes from. This reward that is unfading. And this reward is is called the crown of glory is reserved for those who shepherd God's people well. And as Revelation 4 reminds us, there will come a time when all of those crowns get thrown back at the feet of Jesus. So while this passage has been intensely focused on those who lead, and maybe some of you have checked out, I hope you haven't, uh, there's an exhortation to those that they lead. And it's found in the top left side of your bulletin. You know, we have scripture verses that we, we print there sometimes to prepare you for worship, sometimes as a, a signifier of a connection of some things that we're going to talk about or focus on today. Um, this passage is found from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is the exhortation to those that elders lead. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you think, well, I'm not an elder, what does this mean for me? It means this. Seek what the author of Hebrews is saying as true in your life, that you would be able to be at a place where you can submit yourself to the spiritual care that God has provided. Why? Because these men keep watch over your soul. Notice, notice what the author of Hebrews says. They keep watch over your soul. They don't just keep watch of your church attendance. They don't keep watch of how much money you give. They don't keep watch of just how many ministries you serve in. They keep watch over what is most precious of you. Your soul. That which lives forever. That which, if surrendered to Jesus, enjoys Jesus forever. And that which who denies Jesus is separated from Jesus forever. The author of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, tomorrow night we're going to meet and we're going to say, how hard can we make it for our people to try to submit to us? Let's see how many hoops they can jump through. No, that's not it at all. But it means because in the task of spiritual leadership, that leaders often know where the sheep need to go better than the sheep, right? That we're going to sometimes say and, and ask you to consider difficult things where you would say, I don't want to do that. If sheep don't listen to their shepherd, they're going to have a difficult journey. And so the author of Hebrews says, obey and submit with joy, not with grief, not with, oh, the elders want me to do this again. Why? Because the men that God has called to shepherd your hearts, to watch over your soul, will give an account for you before the Lord, the chief shepherd. In a very real way, there will come a day when I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for you. Now, that doesn't mean that 
I am solely responsible for every decision you make. No. But it does mean that I should be doing everything in my charge through God's grace to help you grow in His truth. So do it with joy, not with grief. Let it be with joy that your elders lead you. And so as we close, I want to do something a little different. I want to have our elders stand up. Do you know where Dustin is? Becca, go find Dustin. Just stand up where where you're at. And we're going to pray for these men. Um, And and I just want you to be aware of who these men are. Uh, I think we're all here today. Um, and remember them in prayer for the task that they have, because it's not an easy task, but it is a rewarding task. And so we just want God to be honored as we serve him in faithfulness. Let's pray.